How has terrorism changed the evolution of the internet? What can be done to improve our cybersecurity? From the University of Chicago's Harris School of Public Policy, this is Chicago Policy Radio. I'm your host, Thomas Day. Today we're talking with David Benson. David Benson is a PhD candidate in political science at the University of Chicago. He is also a coordinator for the Program on International Political Economy and Security and a research fellow for the Chicago Project on Security and Terrorism. Benson is an Iraq War veteran of the U.S. Army and also worked as an intelligence analyst for the Department of Defense's Joint IED Defeat Organization. David Benson, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So some people fear that information about dangerous skills like bomb making is more readily available because of the internet. How do you respond to these concerns? Well, it's really easy to understand why people would think that because there are things that we do on a daily basis that information helps. However, when we think about things like bomb making, we should really be thinking about things uh, that are more like watchmaking, except that uh, in that they're very complicated and somewhat difficult to pull off. And unlike a watch, a bomb will kill you if you do it wrong. So if we think about things that you might want to learn how to do on the internet, we often think about simple things that are repeatable and replicatable, and that someone can do and can commit a number of errors and get right eventually. Something like, for example, cooking. These are things that are not dangerous or in any way uh, problematic for somebody to try and fail at. However, when you're looking at making a bomb, you're looking at something that uh, requires a level of skill that you should be able to do and make it work the first time every time. Failing at that is a big issue. So while it is conceivable that uh, making a bomb is something you can get information uh, about over the internet, it's unlikely they'd be able to do it successfully. How have social networks changed terrorism, and how do terrorists use the internet at the local and international level? So social networks, strictly speaking, have always existed. Uh, what most people are concerned about nowadays are social network programs, such as uh, Twitter or uh, things like MySpace and Facebook. Uh, in many ways, these have not really affected terrorism at all, mostly because the terrorists, at least as near as we can tell, when they're successful, they don't use them. Uh, in part, this is because both groups like MySpace, Twitter, and, and uh, Facebook are heavily monitored by MySpace, Facebook, and Twitter, not to mention large groups of people who are opposed to the objectives that terrorists have. The other uh, reason is, is that most groups that operate locally are built upon local social networks, those that have always existed. And those local social networks don't need to rely on something like Facebook or MySpace. If you think about it like you would as a student, you wouldn't post that you were cheating with a friend on your Facebook page. That'd be a good way to get caught. So what you would do is you would do it in person. Uh, therefore, most of these things don't happen on the internet. So how has the internet supported uh, those who fight terrorism? Uh, those who oppose terrorism have gotten a lot of utility. One of the things that I was amazed to discover, even though I'm a skeptic of the utility of terrorism, is the amount at which the United States, for example, has been using the internet to prosecute terrorism. It's been become much, much easier for them to show things like intentionality and premeditation uh, of a terrorist attack because you can go in and find stuff that they thought, uh, suspects thought was erased when they sent an email or such a, or a uh, web page. Therefore, they can go and show that somebody was thinking about this six months in advance, and even though they didn't carry it out, they really did intend to carry out an attack. 
So let's talk about America's defensive and offensive capabilities in the cyber world. President Obama ordered a review of the federal government's cybersecurity in 2009. Two years later, where are we now? Has the U.S. government succeeded in building cyber defenses? So I honestly can't speak particularly knowledgeable about many of the things because they're classified. Um, however, I do know that much of the cyber defenses that we have are focusing on things like hacking. Uh, hacking is uh, instrumental use of the internet which is a somewhat different phenomenon than what we would study in uh, social sciences. I, however, am somewhat skeptical of the utility of that, mostly because we see innovations in technologies all the time. And what ends up happening is that we see a strategic interaction between the offense and the defense. So imagine knights develop heavier armor, we develop arrows that penetrate them. They get better armor, you develop bullets, and so on. And I expect that this is what's going to occur. The United States is very well positioned because we occupy a central place within the internet. So I don't think that anybody's likely to get a significant advantage on us over time. So how much should the U.S. government get involved? Is there a potential conflict with the First or Fourth Amendments with too much government action in the cyber world? Absolutely. Uh, you could see a situation where the government becomes involved to the point where we spark a negative reaction. So this is the sort of argument that you see like uh, with international intervention all the time. If we get involved, people are going to hate us more. Um, now I don't have a bright line distinction where that line might be, but that is always a risk. In terms of the First or the Fourth Amendment, there are already claims that the U.S. government has violated people's for uh, Fourth Amendment rights. Of course, in other countries, uh, there's no such thing as the First Amendment, but we can imagine what it would look like in other countries of the right to free speech. The U.S. has been very good about trying to not violate people's First Amendment rights online. However, uh, the potential for uh, monitoring online does raise questions where the law isn't really settled. Uh, I often say that uh, I am attempting to map the situation that we have and hoping that the policymakers and the legal scholars will look at the situation we have and choose an appropriate avenue. David Benson, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Chicago Policy Radio, a production of the Chicago Policy Review and the University of Chicago. Our podcast is produced and edited by Claire O'Hanlon and David Levine. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ryan Gee. Special thanks this week to Britta Glennon. You can find us at www.chicagopolicyreview.org and on iTunes or email us at media at chicagopolicyreview.org. Thanks for listening and join us next time. <laughs>